Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. We continue with season 8 where we're going to be looking at films that have been adapted from a novel and for today's episode we'll be talking about one of the most modern classics that introduced us to probably one of the most sadistic antagonists in cinematic history. So, for episode 73 we'll be talking about the Oscar winning Coen Brothers thriller No Country for Old Men based on a novel by Cormac McCarthy and written, directed, produced and edited by the Coen Brothers, that's Ethan and Joel, and starring Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin and Woody Harrelson. A film that is curiously mesmerising to watch regardless of the violent tendencies one character by the name of Anton Sugar seems to be possessed whilst trying to locate a large amount of drug money that has fallen into the hands of a trailer-trash innocent bystander called Llewellyn. In this classic Coen Brothers-esque narrative, Tommy Lee Jones plays the narrator-slash-sheriff who tries to piece together the aftermath and the escalating situation of this current ordeal. Better put, following in the massacre of bloodshed that Anton leaves behind as he pursues the money that Llewellyn now has in his possession. The film is based on a novel by the same title written by American novelist Cormac McCarthy, real name Charles Joseph McCarthy Jr., established author, playwright and now screenwriter since Hollywood got a sniff of his blunt style of writing that seemed attractive enough to be made into movies. Born in 1933 and still alive today, his career started in the early 50s with no real success. It wasn't until the 90s that his novel All the Pretty Horses get some traction with a worldwide audience where it won the National Book Award. His work soon got momentum when followed up with The Crossing, Cities of the Plain, and then in 2005 he wrote No Country for Old Men, two years before it was made into a film. Now, considering how well the film did at the Oscars, this puts his name in the limelight. However, it was his 2006 post-apocalyptic novel, The Road, which got rave reviews and ended up winning the Pulitzer Prize for fiction, probably the highest honour for a writer. It was actually made into a movie with Viggo Mortensen, where the film didn't do so well, but the book superseded the glory. The exact opposite happened with No Country for Old Man, where the novel got mixed reviews and the film ended up winning the highest honour at the Academy Awards, winning Best Picture. Even with the glory of the film's recognition, Cormac McCarthy is considered one of the greatest contemporary writers of the American generation, even though he is also recognised as someone who doesn't use punctuation in his novel, but he isn't as established as, let's say, Stephen King. No Country for Old Men was a great novel. It doesn't really venture off from the source literature. Instead, the, you know, the style of the visual film makes the story that much compelling. I think it's just the style of what the Coen brothers decided to do with it. I honestly think that the film is what you know, what it is, because the novel happened to fit the certain style the Coen brothers have excelled at. And that is of the trivial life that blends in with an unusual revelation in the plot, which is what the Coen brothers are probably the masters at. I mean, take Burn After Reading, for instance, normal people who entangle themselves with this disc that actually is drivel, but they think it's some top secret material, or Fargo, when again it's normal people and one of them has his own wife kidnapped so he can get some money, and in No Country for Old Men, we have a man who gets caught up in the middle of a drug trade by simply stumbling across the money. I mean, for me, the character of uh, Anton is the one that's most interesting. I mean, he's played with just pure callousness by Javier Bardem. That earned him an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. First Spanish actor to win, actually. Also the first to be nominated as well, uh, five years prior. I mean, the whole point of this movie is exceedingly vague when we desperately search the generic formula of storytelling. I mean, good overcoming the evil. That's usually what you look for in a movie. But this is simply not the case with country, uh, No Country for Old Man. The film actually plays on the reality 
of the Western genre. I mean, now America or Italy, for that matter, was once upon a time, you know, where the film industry would be flooded with Western movies. Butch Cassidy, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, The True Grit, amongst hundreds of others. And nine times out of ten, in fact, probably ten times out of ten, the hero prevails. The evil dies and they ride into the sunset and the film ends with and we, the audience, walk away feeling satisfied that balance has been restored and that the true karma exists. What the Coen brothers have done here, though, is made a futuristic Western film. And I don't mean futuristic in terms of sci-fi, but in terms of a film set in modern times, as most Western films are very much set pre-1970. The film, however, is only set 10 years after that and still taunts of the idea that Westerns have now changed dramatically. The idea that good doesn't always win. There's no denying that Coen Brothers have captured a certain immaculate tone that holds until the credit rolls, but at the same time, you can't help but feel cheated or uneasy that our chosen protagonist dies while Anton, our antagonist, literally walks away. The themes are heavily complicated the more and more you watch it. Anton is evil, plain and simple, a psychotic and strangely composed as a killer who kills people based either on a coin toss or because they have slightly inconvenienced him in some way. He is the representation of chance and unexplained suffering in this world, personified by this performance. I mean, to him, only chance makes sense to him, hence the heads or tails and the coin toss. Now, call it chance, luck or fate, whichever one you believe. We have to assume all three are at play here. Fate means you believe in God or believe in a higher power. There's a path, there's a design. Chance means there's no control and it's down to complete chance and luck taunts at the fact that there is a coincidence in play that maybe someone is hinting at you hence why people have good luck and bad luck and people are just lucky and leave it at that then it's chance but if they don't then it's fate so it hangs in the middle and all of anton's killing are by chance by his design and by all accounts they're all pointless no real motive to kill the people he does in this movie and done so in such a cold manner and just completely composed, which is the scary part about it. It's still unclear if he does get any pleasure in killing, and that makes his character that much scarier. Llewellyn, played by Josh Brolin, doesn't ride into the sunset in the movie and keeps the money. He gets killed, and not even by Anton, which further emphasises this realistic, depressing tone of this movie, and of course the idea of fate and luck. I mean, he stole the money, or found the money, some would argue, um was just drug money so really there's no moral code there in taking the money and he dodged a few attempts from anton in some clever ways only to be killed at the end by the mexicans it's probably confirmed as well that his wife also dies at the hands of anton as well now in the film it's unclear but it is very clear that anton does not like to get blood on himself and he makes a point of reminding us that with little subtleties i mean i guess the cohen cohen brothers remind us with these little subtleties, he draws the shower curtain before shooting a man in a shower. After he kills a few Mexican, he takes his socks off because they splattered on him. And after he kills Wells, he lifts his feet off the floor. And again, when he exits Llewellyn's wife's place, he pauses to check the sole of his boots. So I think we can assume that he does kill Llewellyn's wife in this film, just like he said he would. Speaking of blood, by the way, I mean, the production team found out that they had a big expense and that was the fake blood. Now, normal fake blood is made with sugar. And it's quite cheap. But the ones they bought were $800 a gallon, mainly because the blood was mainly used for the aftermath scene in the desert. And if they had used the cheap stuff, the stuff with the sugar inside of it, they would have had loads of bugs and ants in the desert crawling all over the extras. Apparently, the creepy crawlies had no interest in the expensive stuff, hence why they had to get the $800 a gallon blood for this movie. So a lot of the budget was on fake blood. 
And remaining on the subject of blood, while shooting in, uh, I think it was on location in Texas, they had to pause filming because of a big oil cloud was in the shot. And there was another movie because Thomas, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was shooting his film on the other side of the desert, which was called There Will Be Blood. And a year and a half later, both these films would be leading the 80th Academy Awards. No Country for Old Men ended up winning the Oscar for that night. I think winning four of the eight it was nominated for, including Best Picture, Best Performance by Supporting Actor, Javier Bardem, and also Best Directing and Best Screenplay. The Coen Brothers ended up winning three Oscars each that night, which is some achievement. I mean, There Will Be Blood ended up scooping Best Actor, uh, the second one for Daniel Day-Lewis for Best Leading Man. However, even though none of the three main stars of the No Country for Old Men were nominated for Best Actor, and I guess that's because they are all considered uh, supporting actors. I mean, it's the same situation when they had um, The Departed nominated and none of the actors are really supportive or main because you, you don't really know who the main character is in The Departed. I mean, is it Leo? Is it Matt Damon? I mean, we don't know. So, But they did actually nominate Mark Wahlberg because he was definitely a supporting character in that film. But yeah, anyway, so what's actually interesting in uh, No Country for Old Men is like none of the three main leads, um, which is Tommy Lee Jones, Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem, they don't share a scene at all in the movie, which is very interesting. Uh, the only character to actually, in fact, interact or speak with all three of them is Carla Jean. Uh, but Tommy Lee Jones was nominated for Best Actor that night, but it was for The Valley of Eli. And also against him was Viggo Mortensen for Eastern Promises, who played the main character in another Cormac McCarthy novel, The Road. I read that that was his first film to win Best Picture, which was edited using Final Cut Pro, which is amazing because that's what I have on the uh, on the Mac. So it's pretty interesting. But Javier Bardem didn't uh, almost didn't get the role of Anton. Uh, there was another guy who was actually in contention for it, and that was Heath Ledger. And he was originally in talks for the role, but decided to take some time off from acting. Funnily enough, the year after. He played a very similar character with psychotic traits and ended up also winning a Best Supporting Oscar, just like Javier, for his role in The Dark Knight as the Joker. When they approached Javier, they simply said to him, you know, I think Javier was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be right for this part. And he, he just simply said to the Coen brothers, I don't drive, I don't speak good English, and I hate violence. And the Coen brothers just stared at him and smiled and responded, and that's exactly why we've called you. But um, going back to my um, my uh, Heath Ledger fact earlier, where he plays the Joker. So you can actually make some very... I mean, you can do this with any movie these days if you know uh, anything about films. I mean, there are some interesting links between these actors. I mean, some interesting links. Of course, the Joker is, of course, a character in Batman. And Tommy Lee Jones, who is in this film, played Two-Face in Batman Forever. A man who decides people's fates with a flip of a coin, just like Anton in No Country for Old Man. I mean... Uh, you can do links all day long with this film. I think Tommy Lee Jones was actually the first actor to be casted in this movie, one out of the three. And despite top billing, which means he's listed first in the credits, he has the least amount of screen time out of the main three, which is interesting. And if we're going back on links, Tommy Lee Jones, of course, is in Men in Black, where Josh Brolin plays a younger version of him in Men in Black 3. Of course, both of them are also in the uh, Marvel Universe. Joel, uh, Josh Brolin plays Thanos, and Tommy Lee Jones is the general in Captain America. And, you know, the case that carries the money in this movie is the exact same one that carries the movie in Fargo, another film directed by the Coen brothers, which stars Francis McDormand, who won the Oscar for Fargo, and then again for the three billboards in Ebbing, Missouri which also stars Woody Harrison, who is also in No Country for Old Men. I mean, 
And Francis McDormand is married to one of the Coen brothers. And Woody Harrison is the lead in Natural Born Killers, which also stars Tommy Lee Jones. So you can see there's loads and loads of links, more so as time goes on, because people start intertwining with people they admire or worked for in the past. So there is another interesting thing in this movie that has never happened in any Coen brothers movie. And boy, do they have a long list of films under their belt. So... They've got films like The Big Lebowski, Miller's Crossing, Fargo, Raising Arizona, Burn After Readings, just to name a few. But there's a scene in No Country for Old Man where Llewellyn, uh, played by Josh Brolin, he's badly injured, remember? And he crosses the border into Mexico. So that moment marks the first time in any Coen Brothers film where a character is shown in another country, which is an astounding fact. In all of his movies... He's never had a character step foot in another country. It's just all been in America. So No Country for Old Man breaks that by Josh Brolin stepping into Mexico. And he barely even discovers Mexico. He just steps about five meters into Mexico and comes right back. So it's safe to say Coen brothers love America. But yeah, with a £25 million budget, the film ended up grossing around $170 million worldwide, becoming the Coen brothers' most successful film ever made in their career. It was also the longest film ever made until they made uh, The Ballads of Buster Scruggs. I think it was like four or five years ago that film came out. Really good film, actually. It's a really random film. But yeah, it was all Coen Brothers films. Very unusual. It's like an anthology. Um, so yeah, No Country for Old Man. It's ranked 155 on the top 250 greatest films of all time on IMDb. It's on the 1001 movies to see before you die. And it's one of the, you know, and it's probably the Coen Brothers best film. And that is saying something as well. I mean, five of their films have been nominated for Best Film at the Academy Awards, which were No Country for Old Man, A Serious Man, True Grit, uh, Bridge of Spies. Uh, Bridge of Spies, they didn't direct, but they produced it. And out, and out of all of them, that's right, you've guessed it, No Country for Old Man is the only one that's won. The film is unusually, it's just, it's entertaining. It's an entertaining thrill ride where justice isn't served and the hero doesn't prevail and the killer makes good on his promise to kill his wife. Um... There's no anticlimactic scenes um, where the good may prevail the bad. It just unfolds, and it's quite seductive to watch. I mean, he doesn't get the money he was hired to recover, but he doesn't die, and he walks away with his life. I mean, there are some that view this film as something even darker than what it is. The hero, or chosen hero, as I like to put it, is a man who doesn't really steal the money, but stumbles across the money that he chooses to keep. Now, he is given the choice to return it, but decides not to, and bets on himself to get away of it, even with the threat of his wife. So if anything, how much of a hero is he really? Some have called Anton, and this is where I talk about a darker theory, some have called Anton the Grim Reaper in this story, adjusting the wrong that Llewellyn has caused. For the random people we kills in this movie, well, I don't know. I mean... You could assume that they have done wrong and you kind of get the hint of that with this line of questioning with the gas cashier who said he married into the business. So maybe, you know, Anton is some kind of dark angel readjusting these slight misfortunes to people, restoring balance. I don't know. I mean, he surely believes in a higher power because he leaves the fate of a person's life to a coin toss without remorse, completely trusting that this coin will tell him the correct decision. And this is where our side or idea of chance, or um, idea of chance and his idea of fate sort of interlink. I mean, also the conversation about the coin traveling 22 years to be right here for this very moment confirms his way of thinking. So maybe he is a dark angel of some sort. He, ne- I mean, it's obviously never confirmed in the film, but if in the book you do find out that Anton is actually working for someone, which is quite hard to imagine. I think it's quite a good job that the Coen brothers don't show that. He's just a, you know, a lone ranger. But, you know, No Country for Old Man may look like a Western on the surface, but it's more of a conventional storyline. 
I mean, Moss would have, you know, if, if it was, you know, a classic Western, you know, Moss would have eventually killed uh, Sugar, reunited with his wife and escaped. Instead, he winds up dead on a dingy motel room floor and triggers Carla Jean's subsequential execution. So the moment itself is shocking, but there's an exception that, you know, to Bell, which has been, you know, the sideline for much of the narrative, which steps up, you know tracking down the money and bringing sugar to justice that's what you want that's what you are praying to happen but it just doesn't go that way instead he just escapes and the only time bell even gets close to him is when he enters a motel room and imagines the killer could be hiding in the shadow so no country for old man ends with the how can i put it Ostable hero and his wife dead and you know the villain escaping with the money if it wasn't already a bitter pill to swallow for audiences the final scene features bell hazily recounting two dreams without really explaining what they mean i mean and that brings me to the title of the movie i mean no country for old man old man who once rode away in the sunset in westerns who served justice to the evil man who where where, you know but the world's changed now time has changed and it hasn't adapted which is then you know causes his retirement because he feels sorry for the death of moss he serves no purpose anymore as a man under law and even as a man in this once familiar land he calls his country hence the title the world now, the world as it is, is one that is just unpredictable and where there is no pattern anymore, where there is no good luck. Just like his participation in the movie, he's just on the sidelines while evil eventually prevails and there was nothing he could do about it. I mean, maybe a long time ago in the 1960s with John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, but this is not a Clint Eastwood film, this is not a John Wayne film, this is a Coen Brothers film and they've reminded everyone that this is a Western uh, this is a Western movie that is actually kind of realistic and also that the Western genre is not dead, but simply put, the idea of it is. There is simply no room for old men in this country anymore and this goes to how we think, how we act and how we talk and this itself is relevant today. Slavery, racism, ageism, all, you know, all things that once existed but now things have changed and reality for the better when we don't allow such things but in terms of movies or movie point of view or narrative you know we've steered away from this generic you know generic storytelling and now even in this world you know evil can surely win and there is sometimes no justice to evil and the world anymore and i think this movie is a big reminder of that so yeah anyways Sorry to leave on the sour note, but that's all I have time for with No Country for Old Man. Probably one of the best villains in a movie I've seen since Kevin Spacey and Seven. But yeah, anyway, please subscribe to me on Spotify, iTunes and Google. And you can follow me on Instagram, Film Exploration AH, or lowercase or one word. And once again, thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.